everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. It is officially dead season in college football recruiting. This was actually the end of the 2019 college football season, but it also puts us on the eve of the 2020 season. We are going to go behind the scenes of a lot of the recruiting stories. Jeremy Clark, our own editor of TCU 24-7 Sports Horn Frog Blitz, is going to give us some inside story about the guys we got, maybe a few guys that slipped away, as well as all of the fun drama, soap opera, back and forth, crazy uncles, all of that that came in to bring this 2020 class together. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Before we get into our episode, we want to thank our lead sponsor, Team Life. Go to teamlife.ngo and you will find a way to support local junior high and high school students right here in DFW as well as beyond. The Team Life does a great job of investing in the lives of our young people, giving them the tools, the support, and the, what they need to make wise decisions so that they can succeed in life. I don't know about you, man, but I hated being 13. I didn't quite know what to do with my life. Teen Life goes out of their way to support these young people. So go to teenlife.ngo. You can do two things. Find a way to volunteer. Find a way to make a donation. If you are one of those high-dollar boosters that's throwing down money to get that suite on the east side, I got my eye on a few of you Twitter followers, go ahead and throw a few bucks to teenlife.ngo. It would be a great way to support a great cause. Daniel, Jeremy, either of y'all got the coronavirus? Uh, no, I prefer Modelo. <laughs> Modelo virus is that uh, about to make a breakout out there in Parker County? Yeah, I got a, I got like four of them in my pantry, so I might have to catch that bug. Pantry, correct? I want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, I, I don't drink it very regularly, so I took them out of the fridge. Fair enough. Fair enough, Jeremy. You doing well tonight, my friend? Yeah, still uh, recovering from yesterday. Pretty tired, but as they say, there's no sleeping in recruiting. Not much rest. You slow feet don't eat. That's what I, I read that in Proverbs one time. <laughs> so, well, for, for as many years as I've been on, on your website, as we've bounced around across the different uh, platforms right here on 24-7 Sports Now, that's where you should be, you have written some great articles at the end of the recruiting season after signing day where you take us inside what went on with some of these dramatic recruiting stories. I know it's hard to believe but recruiting gets a little sloppy and gets a little messy and gets a little dramatic. Jeremy, you wrote up a great article on our on our site called "Behind the Scenes uh, Recruiting." Some behind the scene recruiting notes. We're going to sprint through that a little bit. Share a little bit about um, some of these key players that we signed. A few guys that slipped away. Anything you want to share with us that was on that article, or maybe some stuff that's better for this podcast format. Format. We're going to do rapid fire, making our way through as many recruits as we can on this episode. Does that sound good to you, buddy? Absolutely. I, and really, I'm just going to give a little bit of crumbs because I want people to come to the side. I, you know, this is uh, – I, I like telling the behind-the-scenes stuff because people, that's that's really what they kind of wait for. It's you know, They like to hear about the kid and why they chose TCU and everything else, but everyone likes that juicy information. So I'm, I'm just going to give some crumbs on some situations. I may give you a full plate on others. But I want guys to really come over to, to Horn Frog Blitz and, and really find out what they're missing when they don't have that membership. Now's a good time to join. It is a great time to join. Yep. Yes, sir. All right, let's take it from the top. TCU lands Patrick Jenkins, flips him from LSU. There is a great story here about Zarnell Fitch putting in the work for a guy 
that committed to LSU, make no mistake, he was not told to look around. They were heartbroken. I read their message boards and uh, love those Tiger tears, even though they won the national championship. Uh, Patrick Jenkins flips. Tell us a little bit about how he went from being a Tiger to being a Horn Frog and how shocked LSU was when they saw the news on this. Well, he was one of those kids, and kind of like Quentin Johnston, uh, and some people are going to disagree with what I'm about to say, but uh, Patrick Jenkins, when when TCU started recruiting him, Zarnell Fitch had a great relationship with him. Patrick liked everything about TCU. He came up for a junior day visit. He almost committed then, but being from Louisiana, you're going to get a little bit of in-state pressure from LSU, from their fans. Uh, your, your family might have some LSU influence, uh, coaches, friends. You live in L- uh, Louisiana, you're, you're going to get told to go to LSU. So it was really down to LSU and TCU. And if you listen to Coach Patterson yesterday during the, the signing day presser, he said it was more about uh, the schematics of everything. Well, LSU had kind of told Patrick that they were just going to take a few defensive linemen. Well, they ended up taking six or seven, basically the same kind of player he was. So not only was he already heavily considering TCU, even after he committed to LSU, Zarnell Fitch never stopped recruiting them. They had that great relationship. And once LSU kept adding kids, he started to look at where TCU sat, how well they've developed their interior defensive linemen, the low numbers they have on the roster right now. And it made sense for him to choose TCU in the end. And uh, it was funny because I'd mentioned about probably a month before he had decommitted that, Hey guys, there's going to be a big uh, decommitment from another school. And I'm not going to mention his name, but you guys need to pay attention to that because it's going to have some TCU connection. And sure enough, about the time he decommitted, everyone started to kind of, predict Patrick was going to be a frog. And I tried to downplay it as much as I could. I didn't want to ruin it completely. Um, but basically the the moment he decommitted from LSU, he had already silently committed to TCU. And he was basically committed to the frogs for a full month before he made it uh, publicly. Big four-star. He's going to play nose tackle. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He'll play interior. He, he's kind of like a LJ Collier guy, just – can play on the outside, but I think with their offseason weight training program and, and him adding some weight that they see more of his future on the interior, which I think he'll do pretty good. And with Ross Blacklock leaving, he's going to have to be another body in there that they could put in that eight, nine, ten, hopefully 10-man rotation on the defensive line uh, and, and get some of the guys some rest. But I, I do think with him being on campus already, he'll go through spring ball uh, he'll have a chance to make an impact early on. All right, let's go to the another four-star that the Frogs landed in this cycle. Also a big recruiting battle with in-house, in-state powerhouse, University of Texas. And by powerhouse, I mean Walmart. But Quentin Johnson, he's from my favorite city outside of Fort Worth in the state of Texas because, you know, when you're southbound 35 and you get to Temple, you know what that means? That you're two hours away from Fort Worth. That you're not in Waco anymore. That's the best oh, yeah. part. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true, too. So, Quentin Johnson, big four-star wide receiver. Another one of these big bodies. Frog signed some tall wide receivers in this class. This was a battle down to Texas. Obviously, this involves 
Johnston. This involves Texas. This involves TCU. But Malcolm Kelly was kind of at the center of this. Give us some great breadcrumbs about Quentin Johnson, how the Frogs were able to land him, and a lot of the dynamics that we're spinning around with family, with coaching changes, as well as a lead recruiter in Malcolm Kelly that was able to land this stud. First off, I'm going to apologize for my voice because it's cracking in and out, and I don't know why. I guess I'm getting sick with all this cold weather we're having. Uh, Coronavirus. (laughs) Hey, don't mess around, man. I tell you what, something could happen, Jeff. Quentin Johnston, man, that was another great recruitment and another. Uh, it's it's kind of one of those deals. I love Mike Roach. Mike Mike is a good friend, and and obviously he covers Texas, so he might have a, a different version of the story. But it looked like we're pretty similar in in the way that the backstory on on how this all happened. But really, when Quentin Johnston uh, when he committed to Texas. It was only Texas and TCU, and, I, and I'll tell you this, and, and Mike will verify this. Mike went out to Temple to interview because no one really knew where Quentin was leaning, and I don't think at the time he really did. He was still up in the air. Well, when Mike went out to Temple to interview him, he told Mike he gave him quotes for Texas, and he gave him quotes for TCU. He even took a picture holding up the Horn Frog sign, and Mike sent it to me. So that's how close this battle was initially for, for Quinn. It was, it was Texas or TCU. Well, he ends up going to Texas and, and basically from what I understood from a lot of people I talked with is that he kind of felt pressure as a temple kid. A lot of temple kids end up at Texas. Uh, they just, uh, uh, the, the kid that was a defensive end a few years ago. I can't remember his name. I, I, I can see his number. Graham. See Graham. Yeah. Taquan Graham. And then they had a tight end uh, that just went there in the 2019 class. And so it was kind of a, a pipeline for Temple to go to Texas, you know, for, for those kids to go to Texas. So I think there was a little bit of pressure on on his end to, to go to Texas. But at the same time, once he committed to Texas, Malcolm Kelly never stopped pursuing him. And that was a big, big thing for him. And even before Quentin had decided, I was getting information from people – uh, that talked to the family all the time that Quentin's dad really, really liked TCU. He, they, they had gone down to Texas several times, but each time they never committed. And that was kind of eye opening to a lot of people that he, he would go visit so many times, but he would never give his decision to, to the Longhorns. So you kind of knew that TCU really was in the picture a lot more than people really gave him credit for early on. And so after he commits to Texas, then, after the season, Tom Herman gets on a firing streak. He fires Drew Maringer, and and everyone had talked about <clears throat> how the receivers didn't really like Drew down there, and and that's why he was was let go. And and really, the way it came out from their perspective is that Quentin reached out to TCU. He didn't really need to. He had already been talking to Malcolm Kelly so many times. Matter of fact, Malcolm Kelly and Gary Patterson went to one of his games. I think it was October 11th. I can't remember who they were playing, but Mike sent me a text and said, hey, Gary Patterson, I'm at the Temple game. Gary Patterson and Malcolm Kelly are here. And I said, they're there They're there to watch Quentin. No other kids are on their radar at Temple. They're there to watch him. And so really when when Tom Herman fired Drew Maringer, it, it opened the door completely. But as I said on my message board post is, I honestly don't think that would have mattered. I, I still think TCU was chipping away at Texas. 
And Malcolm Kelly, the relationship he was building with Quentin just kept getting stronger and stronger. And I think even if Drew Merringer would have stayed at Texas, that Quentin Johnson would have been a frog. But the whole funny thing about it was is that once Texas made their coaching change, they were uh, you know still actively recruiting Quentin, TCU's building momentum, building momentum. They're trying to keep things as quiet as it can be. And the good thing with Quentin is the kid doesn't talk. He doesn't talk to anyone. He's just a lot like Savion. Didn't really you know, show where he was leaning toward, uh, leaning toward or anything. And especially with TCU visiting a school, they even had an in-home visit that the Temple coaches didn't even know about. The dad, the dad had set that up with Malcolm Kelly and Coach Patterson, and they went to the house. And they had a great visit. And basically it was at that point then that TCU felt extremely confident that they were going to get them. And that was the Tuesday uh, prior to the Monday, he actually released his uh, information on Snapchat that he was going to be signing with TCU. So it, it became so crazy that while Malcolm Kelly's recruiting this kid, he gets a call. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put the coach's name out there on the airwaves, but he gets a call from, let's just say he's, he's on, he's on the payroll at Texas. He gets a call and they gauged Malcolm's interest for the open receiver job that they just fired Drew Merringer for. And Malcolm, he's an OU guy. He he really didn't like uh, Texas in college and, and he certainly doesn't want to go there now. And that's kind of been the, the thought process with a lot of coaches like you know, they, they're not real certain about Tom Herman right now, but um, Malcolm was – his interest was gauged. The, the, an offer was never extended, but those in the business understand that if you're reaching out to a particular coach to gauge their interest and spend several minutes on the phone talking to them about it, you're a very uh, – you're a pretty good high uh, priority for them. So Quentin's family found out about that, and I think – Texas even admitted to it and I think it just sealed the deal even further. So just a, just a great, great job by Malcolm Kelly and, and Quentin goes down as the uh, second highest kid ever to sign with TCU, which if you look at and, and I'm still looking at it just crazy as can be that here we are TCU going off a five and seven season. Everyone talks about the flaws on offense, but yet, they go out and, and they finish with some of the higher rated recruits uh, that they've, they've landed in recent years and they're all on the offensive side of the ball. So that, that tells you one thing that these kids feel like they can come in and make an impact. And that's probably what the coaches were telling these kids, Hey, we need your help. And you got a great chance at playing early. That's a big recruiting win. There's no two ways about it. All right, let's go out to the East coast. Uh, let's uh, look at, we'll go out to the East coast with a team that we want to battle with Bud Clark. Um, defensive back, been committed to Virginia for months, but it looks like he might have been um, looking at TCU the whole time. Tell us a little bit about Bud Clark, how he flipped late, but that may have happened a whole lot earlier. Yeah, I mean, I met Bud over the summer. He came to TCU for a camp, and he did extremely well. And he just the, – the way he interacted with all the coaches that day and, and everything else, I was kind of looking at it to where, man, this, this kid's c- committed to Virginia, but – he sure acts like he's going to end up at TCU. And so after the camp, I talked to him and I said the same thing to him. I said, man, it just looks like you have a, a really good relationship with all these coaches. You look like you're having a great time up here. And he's like, oh, this is where I'm going. 
And I said, Oh really? He goes, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to end up here. And I just kind of, I kind of just put it in the file and just kind of held on to it. I might've put my crystal ball in a little bit earlier on that one, but I didn't put it in right away. Um, but he, he had always told me that he was going to wait until later on in the process. And then even, even when he committed, he committed to TCU and I, I had quotes from him and I held the story for at least two weeks, two and a half weeks, probably before he even made it official on, on signing day when, when he actually did uh, publicly commit to TCU. That's a great story. I love seeing the Frogs be. He's from the Louisiana. Anytime you can get a, a highly rated defensive back out of Louisiana, that's a good day. That's a good day. All right, another recruiting battle that wrapped up right here on signing day, on the second signing day, uh, Savion Williams. This was a battle that was going on between a variety of teams that all thought they were in the running, from Arkansas to SMU to TCU. You've got the truth about how, how long ago this battle has been settled. Tell us a little bit about his recruitment and how the Frogs were able to land yet another four-star tall wide receiver after a disappointing season. You know, this one was a fun one to follow uh, because there was a lot of moving parts and and really Savion didn't tip his hand to where he was leaning to anyone. Um, Gabe kind of handled most, uh, if not all, of the uh, interviews with Savion. He was pretty much the only one Savion would talk to. Um, but even Savion wasn't, wasn't telling Gabe where he was leaning or anything like that. And, and Gabe will tell you straight up how, how he feels with a particular kid. And he, he told me several times that he didn't know where he was leaning from my end or, you know, from, from just talking with other, other people, Arkansas felt really good. SMU felt really good. TCU felt really good. I started to listen more about TCU feeling good. Even the weekend before the week before he came on his official visit. And I kept hearing good things about Malcolm Kelly's relationship with Savion, Malcolm's relationship with the family in general. His brother knew Savion's dad. They used to work together. And Malcolm's family knows Savion's family. And then you got that East Texas connection where Marshall and Longview are, you know, they've played more times than anyone in the state of Texas. It's got a great uh, history about it. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, the, the, there's so much that goes into an East Texas connection and an East Texas bond. So when he's when, – when I'm getting more information about how good TCU's feeling, even before the visit, I started thinking the Frogs really had a chance. I was still feeling that Arkansas was going to be the place he was going to end up, and I even posted that, that I still feel Arkansas is the place. Well, after the visit, I started to get even more – positive news with Savion and it was that Sunday that it was told to me that Savion told TCU that he was not going to visit Texas and I didn't make a real big deal about it I put it I put it on the board but I didn't tweet it out I didn't do anything like that just gave you guys some nuggets hey this is what I'm hearing and we'll see if it's confirmed and talking with some guys at Texas and and, and Mike and they they hadn't really heard anything if he was going to visit from their end because Savion wasn't confirming anything. Well, by Thursday morning, I found out that uh, someone had talked to his head coach and, and they told me that he told uh, uh, the reporter that Savion's not visiting Texas. And so that's when I really started to say to myself, 
what I heard about him not visiting Texas is true. And it's coming out four days later. So I've, I've, I've better, I better start listening a little bit closer to what I'm hearing from my end. The same time, Arkansas and, and SMU still felt, felt pretty decent. About Friday, I started to feel even more confident. I, I was told that TCU felt really, 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 really good about their chances and that it was, it was going to be a, uh, a tough battle for TCU to uh, get beat out for them. And the Friday, Malcolm Kelly, Malcolm Kelly went down there. I'm sorry, my voice keeps messing with me, so I'm having a hard time talking here. Malcolm Kelly goes down there, and I was, I was told that uh, David – they went down for a basketball game, and I was told David Grew wasn't there, even though – uh, the SMU guys had said that he was going to be at the basketball game. Well, come to find out, well, let me backpedal a second. First off, SMU had thought David Grew was going to do an in-home visit Thursday night, and then I found out that that wasn't true. And so by Friday, it was they're going to go to the school, but then they changed their mind and they wanted to go to the basketball game like Malcolm Kelly was going to. And so I get information early Saturday morning that David Grew wasn't at the game. So I check with Billy for the SMU site and Billy says, yeah, he, he didn't go. He, he, he went to the school during the day. I think as, uh, you know, Billy had mentioned on his board that his wife went into labor. And so <laughs> perfect time for your wife to go into labor when you're trying to land a four-star recruit, but uh, families first and especially the, the birth of a child. So you got you got to handle business. So can't blame SMU for not going to his game. But I was also told that Arkansas sent four coaches down there and I, I went to the Arkansas board and I looked and I, and I didn't see anything about that with Savion and there was nothing posted or anything. So I called Gabe and said, Hey, this is what I'm hearing. And at that point, I don't think Arkansas felt real confident they were going to get them. And that was Saturday by Sunday. Let's just say I found out all the necessary details I needed to. TCU was basically, if unless something extremely drastic happened, they were getting them. By Monday, Williams received his NLI packet that TCU sends out to all their signees, and he tried to sign. Like he tried, he tried, he, he, he called TCU and he tried to sign and send it back in. They said, Whoa, whoa, you got to wait till Wednesday, buddy. You got to wait till Wednesday. And come to find out, I found out uh, later that night that he had actually committed to them on the 26th, that Sunday, when I was first told that he wasn't visiting Texas. So basically he was committed for about a week and a half before he made it public public. So for all the back and forth about SMU and about Arkansas, this was really another battle between TCU and Texas that TCU won. Well, it I don't think he really ever had an interest in Texas because they came in too late. And, I, and it also got back to them that Texas was trying to, to hire Malcolm Kelly. And, and, that, was, and that was something that they, they looked into. And it just it just goes to show, man. TCU had the right guy recruiting these tall outside receivers because that's what he is. 
he's 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 got the skins on the wall, man. He's a six four guy. He's an all American at Oklahoma. Was a second round draft pick. He can go into these homes and and say, listen, I, I can develop you. I know what it takes to get to the league. I know what it takes to be an all American. Look look at look at my look at my resume. And Malcolm's just an extremely likable guy too. I mean, I, I and it's just like Coach Patterson said on Wednesday is that these younger coaches relate to these players and, and, and really he's just like them. And that was the big thing for them to, to land those kids and, and, and Quentin and, and Savion. And don't forget about guys like Caleb Medford and Blake. Now, I mean, the, the receiver position is just loaded this class and you got to credit Malcolm and, and, and really for Malcolm's first year to really hit the trail. Cause you got to remember he didn't arrive to TCU until basically this time last year. And he didn't get a chance to really go out and recruit. This year, he finishes as the the top-ranked recruiter on the staff at number 10 overall in the Big 12. You can go on there and look at our uh, coach recruiting rankings, and he's right there, number 10. So, uh, tremendous job for him. And, and, uh, you know, Coach Patterson gave him props on Wednesday, and and it was very uh, deserved for Malcolm. All right, let's flip gears to a kid that does not technically count to the 2020 class, but surely is going to make an impact right away in 2020. Jaquez Sorrells, who um, was going to be in the 2019 class, found himself in the 2020 class, had committed to South Carolina. This is another example of Coach Fitch going and finding a big guy to play in the trenches. Tell us a little yeah. bit about how that came about and um, the impact that he's going to have. Well, Coach Fitch had the chance to go out there and recruit him, but you got to give credit to uh, Brian Hernandez as well. He's one of the analysts on staff and he's not able to go out and physically hit the road. He's not one of the 10 assistant coaches. So they kind of got to recruit from campus and, and Brian, man, he's got a knack to find these guys. He, he's the guy that found Adam plant last year. So you got to give him some credit, but when you get Zarnell Fitch in, in your home and you're selling TCU, there's, there's no better person that's going to go out there and get that job done. The guy just bleeds purple. He loves TCU and, I could promise you, and Coach Patterson probably knows it too, but there's there's been some schools that have come after Zarnell. And I'm not going to mention the ones that have, but he's he stayed true to TCU. And that that guy, you got you got a guy like that. Same thing with Malcolm. Here's Zarnell. He's a big 6'4 guy. And he's just got so much energy about him, man. He's he, he's just a positive coach. And look what he's been able to do with these defensive tackles the last few years. I mean, Corey Bethley was a preseason All-Big 12 guy. Ross Blacklock was a, a two-time All-Big 12 player. So you look at how he's developed those guys on the interior, you're going to listen. You're going to listen, especially if Ross Blacklock goes in the top two rounds. It's, it's just going to keep getting better for them. And – uh, Sorrels is it, it puts a bad taste in my mouth because I tried to get the kid uh, ranked for the twenty class. I understand why we didn't because the kid had he gone to Tarrant County College, we probably would have had a better chance. Or if, if he had gone to uh, a, a college that actually has a team and he's and he played one down, we could have re ranked him as a twenty twenty kid. But since he didn't. And he didn't go anywhere. It was the same situation we had with Adam Plant. I have no idea why Rivals did. I, I couldn't tell you. But it's just the, the kid didn't play anywhere. And uh, 
it's kind of like you wouldn't you wouldn't like it if Texas or Oklahoma or some of these other schools, big time schools had had kids on their roster that were ranked or just reclassified. But I get it from TCU fan perspective. It, it sounds so simple. Hey, just make them a 2020 guy. But we're we're trying to evaluate and, and rank these guys accordingly. You just can't throw a kid in there that didn't play this past year and, and, and figure out that he would still be a four star or a top 200 player. Um, now doing calculations based off where he was ranked, uh, his, his rating, he was a, a 0.9331. And the closest I got was, was pretty darn close. There was a kid out of the 2020 class. I think he's ranked. I can't remember his name. He's ranked as the number 15 defensive tackle around the same rating. And I, I just put him in the calculator for TCU's class and with that kind of ranking, TCU's class would have finished 26th. And the kids, the overall, the kid was ranked three or four spots higher. I think he was ranked one, 154, and and uh, Jaquez was 157. But it, it's a, you know, it's a great job by Zarnell to get that kid because as soon as, as soon as Jaquez committed to TCU, I was told that he had about 10 schools calling him trying to get him to come to campus and, and visit before he could sign in December. And he's another kid that's already on campus going through off-season workouts. He's not doing great yet because he's a little out of shape. He didn't play football this past year, wasn't in an off-season program. He, he obviously worked out. He wasn't just sitting on the couch. But he's not as in shape as some of these other kids. So he's got a little bit of catching up to do in that regard. But 6'3", 310, take it all day, man. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, a, a gap – plugger right there and and man tell you what they they've got some extremely talented defensive tackles for years to come all right we're going to get one more guy that the frogs landed and then one more man mean that slipped away uh tyler guyton he signed there right before signing or he committed right before signing day on that weekend um back in january or back in december but this is a guy that wasn't on anybody's radar but your contention was if he if the frogs hadn't offered and landed him back in december he was just going to shoot up the ladder in january so tell me a little bit about how in the world the frogs found out about a kid that had not been on anyone's radar and how texas didn't even want to pull the trigger but probably should have yeah, I mean, this kid, he he was at uh, Vandergriff, I think, all the way up until his senior year when he when he got over to Maynard. But he played when he was younger, and he basically took off the next two years as a basketball player. And I don't even think he made it to Maynard before the season started. I think he was there three or four games into the season, and he was he was uh, able to play and. and and which was kind of surprising because sometimes that doesn't work out that good, but he was able to see the field and man, he's just, he's six, six two ninety, And, and a lot of people didn't really take notice until really the playoffs because Maynard started to make some noise in the playoffs. And, and when, and it was funny because when he got an offer from TCU, I had text Gabe and said, Hey, you know anything about this kid? There's not a lot of film. Have you seen him or anything? And Gabe was like, man, I did see this kid. I went to this game and I'm sitting there. This is Gabe telling me this. He's, he's sitting there watching this kid trying to figure out who the heck he is. And it was funny because he, he was looking at him thinking, 
my gosh, this kid's six, 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 seven, and he's moving around like a, a guy that's 230 pounds. He's got extremely good athleticism. And I had some people tell me that when they first popped up the tape to watch Princely, they thought that Tyler was actually Princely. That's how that's how many good plays he was making. So that's that's a pretty good compliment uh, when when you're compared to one of the better defensive tackle prospects in the country. So basically, Chad Glasgow has a has a, has a great connection in Maynard. He's recruited that area for years and years. And Maynard just likes TCU. I mean, they they like a lot of programs, but they know what TCU likes. They run the same kind of defense. They and they most importantly they they trust TCU to to coach their kids. That's why you got a guy like O'Shawn Mathis. Devin Lemire's already committed to him. But when Chad came down to Maynard to see the kid, he was completely shocked by what he saw. And he knew that he couldn't offer the kid just based off what he saw. So he had to get him on campus for the rest of the coaches to see. And so when his name started to surface, it was just as a preferred walk-on because he didn't have very much game action. They didn't know what he was, if he was going to be a defensive lineman or what. So they invited him up for an official visit with his mom and the coaches were blown away his size, everything else. And they had, they had talked about offering him a preferred walk on because they were extremely limited with scholarships. They, they had certain positions they had in mind. And then about a day after sleeping on it, they knew with his size and athleticism, if this guy waited until February to sign, he was going to, he was going to add up offer after offer after offer. It it would not have surprised me one bit if it would have been a, a similar version like Ennis Rakestraw went through the guy that just committed to Missouri and how, and how fast he blew up in the last month of the season, the, the cornerback out of Duncanville. So for them to not wait on it was the best thing they could have done because Tyler had his buddy O'Shawn up there and and Chad Glasgow had already built a, a pretty decent relationship with him. So by the time it was time to accept the offer, there was no other schools he was gonna take. I mean, they they offered him after signing day. And then he he decided to sign, I think, on that Friday. But Texas knew about him. I, I know Oscar Giles went over there to visit, and I was told that Texas didn't want to offer him. They didn't want to be the first ones to offer them, but they liked them. But it's a little bit different down there in Texas because you can't offer a kid that's not ranked because their fans would go nuts. The same story I heard about Carter Johnson last year with Ohio State. People were asking why Ohio State wasn't going after him, and they looked at him like, we can't we can't recruit a three-star kid that's ranked so low. Our fans would lose their minds. So it really worked out for TCU that, they don't give a crap about rankings where the where the stars are. Or they just look at their own evaluations and feel like this kid could come in and make a, a you know a, a pretty good contribution to our program. He's still a year, maybe two years away from really being consistent. But man, he's got a great frame. Um, they saw a video of the way he moves around from a offensive tackle position from a defensive tackle position, and 
I think they feel like they've got a really good steal with, with Tyler. And, and I do too. I, I think it's a, uh, a great addition. And if you look at the rankings, I think we ended up ranking him in the seventies as an offensive tackle. And, and really a whole lot of that is just based off uh, what we feel his potential is. And for now it's an offensive lineman. So we'll see how it works out. It, it, it could, it could be the, the talk of the class. He could be the talk of the class three or four years from now. Well, before we talk about our last recruit, I want you to take us inside some signing day awards. I know you have a, your, in, your inside information and you know got your finger on the pulse of the staff and some players, but give us some signing day awards. I would love to hear some guys that you think are worthy of recognition as the 2020 class has come to a close. Which one you want to – which award do you want to discuss? Well, let's 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 start with the offensive side of the ball. Who's the best recruit that the Frogs landed on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, I, I think it's Quentin. I think he's going to be the kid that that comes in and makes the quickest impact. All right, let's go to the other side of the ball. What do you have on defense? Who's going to be the defensive impact uh, MVP? Uh, I I think I went with Patrick Jenkins because. He's so athletic. Uh, he's got a, a a position where they're trying to find a replacement for Ross Blacklock. Not really that he's going to come in and replace him, but they need bodies there. And the fact that he's already on campus is helping them out tremendously. And plus, he's just really good. He's just a really good football player. So I think he'll be the guy that makes the, the quickest impact to see the field earliest. All right, who's a guy that's under the radar and uh, maybe wasn't the highest rank that you think is going to make a big impact down the road and everybody's going to say, why didn't we recruit that guy? <laughs> you know, the kid that I keep talking about um, over and over, and I, I've watched this film a lot, and we don't have him very highly ranked, and, and I can understand that because he's kind of in an area, no man's land, where there's not a lot of people that get a chance to go up there and see him, but I, I really, really like Blake now. Um you guys know me. I like the small town kids. He comes from a small town, Plainview, which is just outside of Ardmore. But the thing I like about him is he's got great length. He's another six four kid. Um, people talk about Quentin and Savion. He's he's easily forgotten, but man, he he's also a, a tall kid. And if you watch any of his basketball stuff, he can get up. I mean, he's got great vertical ability. But the thing I like about him is he's really not even anywhere close to, to the top of his ceiling. I mean, he's, he's playing at a small town and when you play sports in small towns, you're playing basically every sport there is, whether it's football, basketball, track, baseball. So he's really a multi-sport athlete and he's never really been uh, through an off season program and no knock against Plainview because those guys do a, a, an extraordinary job at their program. They're, they're really known as one of the, the top schools and their classification up there in Oklahoma, their, their coaches have done a really good job, but uh, they don't have the kind of off season of a, of a power five program. So with him getting to TCU and not having to play basketball or run track or do any of those other things and, and having the meal program and, and the off season getting that, getting weight added to him, he can really turn out to be a kid that two years from now, we're talking about a, a six, four, 205 pound kid that he's got very deceptive speed and he's a guy that can get up and catch the ball. He, he can get up vertically and catch those jump balls. And, and that's, that's really something that should excite TCU fans because it's not just Quentin. It's not just Savion. You also have Blake now and then 
Caleb Medford's another tall guy. He's a 6'3 guy, and the thing that I've heard about him is he really has the ability to play outside or inside. So when you have that type of versatility, and, and, and Caleb, I mean, that kid plays a sport, something different every week. I mean, he's a five-sport athlete. He plays football, basketball, baseball, golf, track. I mean, he does it all. Tennis, probably. I mean, he he's just – uh, an incredible athlete and with him getting to TCU and, and not having to play those other sports, his potential is just going to keep increasing. But uh, I, I would say out of the whole class, the guy that just, I, I can't wait to see how he turns out is Blake. Now. I, I was really curious if uh, um, Medford played, uh, was on the bowling team because that would make him a six sport athlete. Well, I'm trying to remember because he, he, he does. I'm pretty sure he does football, basketball, baseball track and i can't remember if it's golf or tennis but i mean he's he does it all i mean and, and on the football field you can line him up at running back you can line him up at receiver you can line him up at quarterback line him up at safety i mean he the kid's just a a very talented athlete yeah i'm a big fan of his being out of henderson man there's just something i mean i know i sound like gabe brooks here but there's something about those kids from East Texas that, you know, they're, they're always sharp in the classroom and they can always win the scrap in the parking lot. And that's kind of what you need at TCU. I mean, like they, they always do well in school. And like, you know, if, if, if the ball's in the air or the ball's on the ground in the scrum, they know what to do on how to get that ball. And so I am really looking forward to him coming. And I, I you know, I, I think, you know, a kid coming out of Plainview, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of scenic Ardmore is probably going to have that same kind of quality. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that the, the two guys obviously that stand, that stand out are, are, are Savion and Quinton, but I'm really excited about the other two wide receivers. We, I, I'm just going to say this, man, after what was a disappointing season to see the four wide receivers that the staff went out and secured both diamonds in the rough, you know, a highly rated three star out of East Texas, and then two, four stars that they went to the mat to get, I'm impressed with the staff, and that that kind of leads me to my last question um, for uh, for the awards. What's what coach do you want to recognize as kind of the recruiter of this class? Who who are, who do you really think should you know get the award and get the recognition for what for the work that they did to land some elite athletes in this 2020 class? Man, it's it's re- it's really really close because. I, I just think the the job that each of these coaches did. I mean, you got some very young coaches that are just guys like Jeremy Modkins, Paul Gonzalez, Arnell Fitch, Malcolm Kelly that are just extraordinarily good at what they do. They relate to these kids and, and they get along with each of them. Chad Glasgow's a veteran. He's done a great job in Syntex. Uh, Jared Anderson, he's always done a good job in East Texas and he was he was part of the Savion Williams uh, you know, deal with them and, and, and Malcolm, you know, Gary said it, he, that Malcolm spearheaded the deal and was, was the biggest impact, but Jarrett did have some impact with, with not only, uh, Savion, but Garrett Hayes. And, but the, 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 the coaching staff is it, just Dan. I mean, Dan Sharp's another one. I mean, each, each one of those guys brings something to the table. Sonny Cumbie, uh, Brian Applewhite, I'm still just, kind of excited to see what he can do. I know everyone's curious to, to see if he's going to be able to fill the shoes of Looper from a recruiter aspect. But, um, I mean, you look top, you know, top to bottom, those 10 coaches all do extraordinary jobs recruiting kids. But the two coaches, I think, just just really 
set themselves apart this year were Malcolm and, and Zarnell. You get Malcolm with Quentin and Savion, and, and, and really with Quentin, you're, you're battling Texas, and you know Texas did not want to lose Quentin. They did not want to lose Quentin, and you know that Arkansas was pushing like crazy for Savion. SMU was pushing like crazy for Savion. And, and for him to get those two guys, I mean, that was, that was huge. I mean, you're talking about only the second time in the Gary Patterson era that TCU assigned two of the top 30 receivers in the nation. That's, that's pretty big news. And the other time was 2017 with Jalen Rager and Omar Manning. And I know you want to ask, I know you're just waiting, chomping at the bit, asking me about Omar Manning, but the, the job Malcolm did was really good. And Zarnell, I mean, we talked about it earlier, getting Patrick Jenkins. He stole him from LSU. There was no nothing nothing about LSU telling him to look around. He, he straight up stole him. He went into Louisiana. He stole Patrick Jenkins. He he got uh, Jaquay Sorrells. And another guy that we really haven't talked about that I think could be a, a, a very, very good player down the line. He's got to add a little weight, but you watch his film – it's quarterback sack after quarterback sack after quarterback sack, and that's Kari Coleman. And and Zarnell was extremely vital in getting that done. And uh, you know, going going into Louisiana and pulling out a, a, another gem out of that state. So uh, Malcolm and Zarnell, it, it was it was a tough tough toss up uh, with all those coaches. But I think I think those two guys really just exceeded everything this year. I'm going to be in agreement on all that, not the least of which is tell me about Omar Manning. This <laughs> That's guy, a joke. I didn't want you to ask. I know. I know. I'm going to ask you this. You can. You, I'm going to give you. A, you know, we're up at 45 minutes. I was trying to keep this show short. All right, you got 90 seconds. Tell me about Omar. Tell me what happened because this recruiting. I'm trying to think when I started following recruiting and when I started to kind of dabble in recruiting on the podcast, even before we came over with you. I think I, I think I first talked to Omar in 2015 on Twitter. And I, I asked, I hear you might be commuting, committing pretty quick. And he said, you know, I'm thinking about it. And then he didn't commit for like over a year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so th- this, this saga goes back, you know, a long, long time ago. He ends up coming to TCU, signing obviously in 2017, like you said, with Jalen Rager. And then, and then it's just a long wandering story. Ends up at Kilgore Community College. Can't, uh, you know, flunks, you know, needs to leave TCU. Goes to Kilgore. Ends up signing with Nebraska. I'm going to put you on the clock. You got 90 seconds. Tell us about Omar. There's no way I can use 90 seconds. <laughs> Take all the time you wish, sir. When when he was first on the radar, I mean, people had a hard time convincing themselves that a talent like that could end up at TCU in the first place. I think the fact that they had Sean Robinson and, and Jalen Rager helped out his recruitment tremendously. Texas came into the picture. Uh, they they wanted him really bad, but he ended up committing to TCU, and I think Coach Looper was a big reason for that. But it, I, I, I want to say if things would have been a little bit different his true freshman season – we might still be talking about Omar being in a TCU uniform. Um, it wasn't really the playing time that that forced him to leave because he didn't want to leave. He had to. He had academic uh, issues that he had to take care of. But there was a point in 2017 during that season that, I mean, a lot of us were told that 
hey, watch out for Omar Manning because he's been looking really good in practices. He's been running in the the two deep. And don't be surprised if he gets out there and plays against so-and-so. And it was it was like that a few games. And we just kind of patiently waited. And he, it, it never came to fruition. And, and uh, he ended up redshirting. And then, man, he just – I found out he had academic issues, wasn't going to class. And there was nothing TCU could do about it. He tried to – he tried as hard as he, he could over the summer to stay there, but it just it just wasn't enough. He was already too far behind, so he ended up at Kilgore. And the crazy thing about it, man, is he could have left Kilgore at any time after that season. The first year he was down there, but he stayed down there. And and they were trying to tell him, listen, you can come back here. You'll still have three years to play. It's it's twenty eighteen, you'll play next year. Twenty nineteen, you'll be good to go. Well, he listened to other people and he decided to stay another year at Kilgore. So fast forward to the 2019 season, he's having a good year and he ended up coming across, uh, his name came across my phone as being a guy that was going to visit TCU. And I was like, there's no way there is no way they're recruiting Omar Manning after last year. There's, it's just not happening because he doesn't like them. They felt like, there's no way he's ever going to come back. He's got too many people in his corner telling him what to do. That's who he's listening to. He's not going to listen to us. But lo and behold, here he is. He's going to be on the list. And I was even told that, oh, he's just he's just coming to hang out. It's nothing nothing big. And I kid you not, I posted that on the board. It's not a big deal. And and people were kind of, you know, talking about it. Oh, yeah, okay, it's not not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. And then I come on about two weeks later and say, listen, remember when I said Omar wasn't a big deal? Well, get some new information. So the interest started to get more mutual. Omar started to come around a little bit and started to like TCU. TCU was reciprocating that interest and and, and they were talking to him. Malcolm Kelly was recruiting him. I think Jared Anderson was recruiting him. And it, it became a point where Omar even came back for an unofficial visit just to hang out with the coaches all day on a Saturday. I mean, he, he came up there, everything sounded great. And at that point I was being told that, man, Omar, there's a really, really good chance. He's going to end up back at TCU. TCU was telling, listen, if you don't graduate by May from Kilgore, you're going to have to go to a division two school. You can't play Division One. Your dreams of playing Power Five are are over. G five even. You can't play Division One football. And I think that was pretty much helping him get convinced that you know maybe I should come back. Maybe I should come back and listen. There, I, I can make an impact. I mean, they they struggled at receiver. I could come in and and be one of those guys. And that's kind of what TCU was telling them too. Hey, we need another big outside guy, a guy that's real physical, go up and get the ball. And everything was looking great. Uh, Coach Patterson even went down to visit him at Kilgore uh, at the school. I was actually talking to Brian Peroni, or Brian Peroni was talking to the coach when Gary Patterson walked in. was was pretty funny because Brian texted me and said, "Hey, Gary Patterson's at Kilgore. He was he just interrupted my interview with Omar." So it it was one of those things where you thought, "Man, this this is really this is happening. It's going to happen." And the next thing I know, the wheel started to fall off. Omar is 
not talking to them as much and he's starting to uh, kind of lean toward other schools and he's listening to other people again. And really it, it got to the point where TCU just kind of threw their hands in the air and said, we got to move on. He's not, he's not coming back. If, if, if he can't get convinced that he could come back and, and we'll get him right with school and he'll have a chance to make an impact next year, he'll still have two years, then we're never going to convince him. And he ended up signing with Nebraska. I mean, it's still yet to be seen if he's going to be able to do everything. I, I wish nothing but the best for the kid. I hope he does get all of his academics in line because the fact that that kid wouldn't have a chance to play Division One football and, and show off his ability would just be a travesty. Um, he is extremely talented, uh, he, extremely athletic, and I mean he put up he put up some big numbers at Kilgore, but it's going to be a tough battle. I mean, everyone I've talked to, even guys that have have talked to people from Kilgore outside of TCU that cover other programs and and, and do a lot of that those things, they've even heard the same thing that he's struggling academically. So it's kind of a you know Nebraska is taking a chance on on getting them. Um, getting them up to uh, Lincoln, but yeah, I guess it's a risk you got to take when you got a kid that's six four and basically two hundred and twenty pounds that can catch the football like he can. We could do a whole podcast on Omar, but I think we'll leave it at How that. How far did I go over? Like <laughs> you six went minutes, six seven minutes, but whatever. It's been it's been six seven year journey with Omar. So okay. yeah. Oh, man. Well, we're going to bring this episode of the Frogcast to an end. Man, I'm going to close with what Jeremy said. If you live and breathe this stuff like we do, you have got to join TCU 24-7 Sports. Go to hornfrogblitz.com. You can log on, become a member today. Great way for you to stay connected. It's dead period right now, but I guarantee you the coaches are already on the prowl for the 2021 class. You are going to want to know the names. You're going to want to know the stories. You're going to want to see the film. This is the place where you're able to stay connected to all that. Also, if you haven't yet, go to iTunes and give us a rating or review for the Frogcast. Subscribe. It's a great way to let people know about this great podcast that we've been a part of for, I think, coming up on five years now. So we've been doing this for a while. This is the, the go-to place for TCU information, for the, the recap games during the football season. We're going to be following some baseball. Sorry, I just can't do basketball right now. I'm trying. I'm depressed. I talk to your buddy, Dixon. Figure out how to do some offensive rebounding. Um Sorry, Jeremy. That was your that was they, my plug for your buddy. They, they need to figure out how to do some scoring right now. They got it. They got a. They got a lot of things to do. Yeah, they got a lot of things to do. But go to hornfrogblitz.com and subscribe to the Frogcast. Give us a rating and review. And so, until we get together again, for Daniel Southern, for Jeremy Clark, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.